One last week on discipleship, uh, I thought it would be a shame if we don't talk about uh, just some of the very practical things in discipleship that we see in the scripture. And I think this passage gives us uh, a plan for discipleship. Uh, and it's, it's actually very simple, very easy for us to understand. Uh, I've shared this story with you before, but uh, at some point, uh, my family, uh, we were on going on a trip. We were in the car. We, we loaded up in the minivan, and I was sitting in the front seat front back seat of the minivan, uh, and I watched my parents uh, have interactions. We always had the, the uh, radio on. It was on an old-timey station playing old music. My mom says to my dad, I wonder how radios work. How, how does the sound get to our car and then through the speakers? And then my dad, being the scientifically-minded man that he is, the all-knowing man that he is, began to give an explanation to my mom about uh, radio waves and waves and towers and, and power that is, and how those things are blasted through the airs and how you have the receivers and all this sort of stuff. And he went on and on about radio waves and how, how all of this happens. And my mom, after about 15 minutes of listening to my dad ramble on and on and on, just said, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. And dad said... <laughs> No, I don't have a clue. I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, we don't know how some things work, right? There are some things that work. Some people know how radio waves work, but, you know, most of us just don't know. We just know that it works. We don't know how things in this world oftentimes work. Uh, but God does not leave us without instruction or letting us have know how things are to work in his church, and he, he actually kind of gives us an operating manual uh, throughout his word. And, and in uh, the book of Titus, the Apostle Paul uh, helps us understand how this discipleship plan is supposed to work in the church. And again, it's, it's actually very, very simple. Um, just to give you some context, this is a very short uh, book of the Bible, only three chapters, full of, of great teaching. Paul does something a little bit different than he normally does. I said at the beginning of uh, this study on discipleship that uh, typically Paul talks about things in terms of the indicative and imperative. The indicatives come first for Paul, and then the imperatives come second. Who you are precedes what you should do. Um, that order is true, but he begins in Titus with what you should do and then finishes with who you are. So it's inversed a little bit. Uh, but his primary reason to write is to get Titus to set up the church in a way that God is honored in the way that God desires. And so chapter 1, he deals with elders, qualification for elders, their, their character and what they should be like, and really what the elders of the church should be doing. And then chapter 2, he deals with the rest of the church. And so um, this is helpful for you because even if you're uh, an elder in the church, you're also a member of the church. Uh, and so you have their qualifications and all that, but in chapter 2 you get the specifics, what is expected in, of disciples in the church. Let me read this for us again. This is Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. I'll read the, the whole chapter. Here's what Paul says. Uh, well, let me say this. Let me remind you, this is God's good and kind and gracious word to you this morning. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, 
to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of, of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live, live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for uh, his help in understanding this word. Father, we thank you for giving us this word today. I pray that you would uh, help us as we uh, work our way through uh, what you have to say to all of your people. I pray that we would receive it uh, in all humility and also that, that it would work its way out into our lives as you have promised that your word will never return void, uh, that we would be uh, people who are identified by Jesus Christ our Savior, that we would have the same mind as he had, uh, that we would be servants even as he was a servant, uh, and that we would glory in Jesus Christ and not in our own works. We pray this in his name. Amen. So uh, this morning I want to look at this passage in three ways. First of all, I think Paul begins in verse 1 with, the reminder or a reminder he gives in verse 1. And then secondly, the, the largest section of this, verses 2 through 10, Paul gives uh, the plan for discipleship. And then uh, thirdly, uh, in verses 11 through 14, he gives the reason uh, for the plan. Uh, so first of all, a reminder. Look in verse 1. He says this, As for you, he's talking to Titus. Titus is a younger disciple uh, who is maybe like an evangelist. Uh, he has been sent into areas and has been given the right to appoint elders where there are no elders. Uh, but he's told this, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Paul's concern is that Timothy is teaching sound doctrine. And later on, especially we saw this earlier is with the call to worship, he, he talks about uh, the sound doctrine that Timothy is meant to be teaching. But what he says is... Uh, that what you teach and the sound doctrine that you teach has an outworking. And that outworking is the things that accord with sound doctrine. Because what you believe matters, and it is a matter of life and death. Because whatever you believe goes into your head, it eventually does go into your heart, and then it works its way out into your hands and what you do. And Paul is reminding that what flows from sound doctrine is sound behavior, right behavior. The word for doctrine, good doctrine, is orthodoxy. The word that corresponds to that for good practice is orthopraxy. Good doctrine, good life, in other words, in what works out. If you believe the right things, 
it's supposed to work itself out into what you do. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. What accords with sound doctrine? He's going to get to that in a moment. But what you believe absolutely matters. If you believe the wrong things, it's going to work its way out into what you do. And so if you're doing the wrong things, it's because you believe the wrong things. You have to have both of those things together. Um, and, and I think for Presbyterians, this is an important thing for us to, to get. Um, we love sound doctrine. We love uh, right theology. I can talk about theology all day long, and I love going over those things and talking about those things. But if our good theology isn't working its way out into actual love for other people, then we're not believing the right things. Okay. So it's just a reminder to us that we need to teach the things that accord with sound doctrine. Uh, and this is something that the world really doesn't believe. I had this vivid reminder when I was at LSU. I was in Existential Philosophy 101, basically. I don't remember the exact name of it, but it was, I think, an introduction to Existential Philosophy with Dr. Sarkar. Brilliant man. He was um, an Indian man uh, and, and just absolutely brilliant. He was an analytical philosopher, and he, he attacked everything that he did with the sharpest mind, and he could divide things up and just could get right to the meat. Uh, he was a great teacher. We went through an entire semester of studying existential philosophy. We studied Kierkegaard and Nietzsche uh, and, and so at least two other guys. And at the end of the class, you know, we're about to be done for the semester. He said, okay, are there any questions? And I raised my hand and I said, yeah, I have a question. Um, what about these guys' lives? How did they live their lives? And he said, why? I said, well, they believed these things. They held these things. They taught these things. Did their lives reflect anything about what they taught? And he was just incensed and befuddled that I would have the audacity to suggest that the things that people actually think work their way out, in, in, out into their lives. And he said, he said, none of that matters. And he actually said that it was one of the dumbest things he had ever had anybody ask him. And I said, well... That's good, okay. I'm glad to have that distinction. Uh, but that's what the world thinks. The world thinks you can believe whatever you want to believe and that ideas don't really matter, but we know ideas matter. And what we believe, the, sound, the doctrine that we teach, absolutely matters and will work its way out. And that's what Paul is saying. Um, why does God give us doctrine? He gives us sound doctrine for a reason. And we're told that he does this, look in verse 11, we'll talk more about this in a moment. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. In verse 12 he says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and all of those things. Why does it matter? Because without righteousness, no one will see God. Hebrews 12, 14. And pursuing righteousness is what disciples of Jesus Christ are called to, to do. So are you pursuing that righteousness without which you will not see God? If you aren't pursuing the holiness of God, then you're pursuing the world. That's just the way it works. And are you even a Christian if you're not pursuing the holiness of God? And if your concern is only with right doctrine and not with how that works out in your life and how you're serving others, how you're loving others, then you've missed the point. Maybe you don't have good doctrine. So it's just a reminder to us, what we believe matters, it will work its way out in our life. And we need to teach, as Titus does here, what accords with sound doctrine. So what are the things 
that accords with sound doctrine. And I would say this is the plan for discipleship that, that uh, God has for his church here in verses 2 through 10. Um, and he gives a broad range of teaching, teaching for whatever stage of life you find yourself in uh, and for, for different groups of people. Uh, and it's at least five different groups, all right? So this is who he deals with. Old men, old women, young women, young men, and then slaves. Now, we don't have slaves, hopefully here. We don't have slaves. If we do, we need to talk. Um, but the Greek word here is bondservant, um, and bondservant is kind of like what we would, uh, how we would think of as employees, right? So if you are an employee, if you works for someone else, the, uh, the instruction that he gives would apply to you. So five different people, old men, old women, young women, young men, and then bond servants, employees. So let's look at each of these uh, in, in turn. Look at verse 2. begins with older men. Uh, and there's a reason why he begins this way. He's, he kind of, uh, Paul certainly sees a hierarchy in the church, and he says, let's begin with the old men of the church. The old men are meant to carry themselves in a particular way. If they believe the sound doctrine that's being taught, then they have to, uh, that works its way out in their lives. So what are they to be like? Mine says they're to be, first of all, sober-minded, and I think that's a bad translation. Uh, it probably should just be sober, that they are to be sober men. They're to be dignified. It's probably even better translated reverent, and they're to be self-controlled. Right? So three things uh, that they're told there right off the, off the bat. They're to be sober men. They're to be dignified, reverent, or self-controlled. And I would argue that, that Paul is giving these instructions to older men probably because this is what older men need to hear. It's hard for older men to live this way, to be self-controlled um, or sober-minded or even so sober or reverent or dignified. Uh, there's something about getting older, something about that happens to men as we get older, we lose disregard for the normal decorum of everyday life. And we just kind of think that whatever pops in our head, we're allowed to say it, and everybody else just has to put up with it. Well, that is not being self-controlled. And it's not being reverent. Older men in the church are to be sober. I mean, we shouldn't have to say this out loud, but we are to be sober in, in, in the way that we uh, handle alcohol. That, that needs to be said. Uh, for whatever reason, um, you know, older men, as they, they get older and they don't have as many responsibilities, think they can drink more and more and more. This is, this is just a basic problem that older men tend to have. And you're told here, don't do that. If you believe in Christ, if you're one of Christ's disciples, be sober, be reverent, be self-controlled, so that you can be sound in faith, so that you can really believe in Jesus so that you can love. Um, it's really hard for older men to love well. <laughs> and, and also uh, so that they can be steadfast. The older men of the church are the ones that are to be the rocks of the church, the dependable ones. That's the calling for older men. Um, and just a warning to the older men, and I say this uh, to myself, it's the middle-aged and older men of the church that need to watch out. Um, two of the greatest men in the Bible fell when they were middle-aged and in their old age, David and Solomon. Um, we just need to be careful, guys. As we get older and older and older, uh, the lure of Satan is strong. 
And we need to put guards around our hearts. And really, truly, run to Christ and stay with Christ. Uh, so that's for the older men. Older men are to be uh, sober-minded, to be uh, reverent, to be dignified, so that they can love well, so that they can be faithful, uh, and they can be steadfast in what God has called them to be. Uh, next, he goes to the older women of the church. And for the older women of the church, uh, it's similar to what he says to the older men of the church. Look there at verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Uh, the word there for not slanderers, uh, it's the word diablos, which is where we get the word devil. You're not to have the, the tongue of Satan. You're not to use your mouth, older women of the church, to tear people down or to distract people from Jesus Christ. You're to be careful with how you use your tongues. And then look at what he says. Look at what he says. They are to teach what is good. So the older women in the church are to teach what is good. And so train the young women. It is the responsibility of the older women in the church to train the younger women of the church on how they are to live out their faith. Uh, that's true of older men, by the way. That's an implied thing for men, that the older men are to be teaching the younger men of the church, but so too the older women are to be training the young women of the church to live their lives in certain ways. And notice he talks about the way that they talk and how they, they, they interact with other people with the language that they use because that also is a particular problem for women. And how you, at times, men do this too, but women can slander and gossip and tear people down. And it's a warning, uh, older women, to not use your position as a way to tear others down, but actually build them up. And recognize that in the church, you're, you're actually training the young women of the church on how they are to live their lives. Even if you're doing a bad job of it, you are training the younger women of the church. And how are the younger women to, to live? So the older women are to, to live a certain way and, and directly connected to them. How are the young women to live? This is what he says. And so train the young women to do what? To love their husbands and their children. To be self-controlled, pure. Um, that's a, a term that means sexually pure. Uh, they are to be working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. You see the way that this works, that if the older men are not the steadfast ones in the church and the older women can't depend upon their husbands and they're out doing the things that older women shouldn't do, then the young women of the church are being trained to, not, to, to do other things as well. They're not loving their husbands uh, or their children well. They're not working and managing their homes well. Uh, they're not being submissive as they are called to do uh, to their husbands. And all things kind of get out of whack. It starts with the older men because the older men aren't doing what they're doing and then the older women aren't doing what they're doing and then that feeds down to our families. And our families are all, all out of whack. And he says, you know, do these things. Why? So that the word of God may not be reviled or blasphemed is another way. Uh, the way that you lived your life in front of others, younger women, is a reflection on what you believe about Jesus and what you confess about Jesus Christ. And so you are to live your life in such a way so that you don't blaspheme or cause blasphemy against God. So you see that, older men, 
young, older women, younger women, and then younger men. Um, it, well, let me just say this. So younger women are to be submissive to their own husbands. Uh, even in the family, God has a calling for the husband and the wife. And within the, in, in the family unit, uh, just like there is a hierarchy for um, uh, in the church, there's a hierarchy in the family. Women are called to be submissive to their husbands in every way that God has called them to be submissive. If your husband is calling you to do something that is against his word, you're not called to be submissive to that. You're called to be submissive to the Lord. But to be submissive to your husband is to show your love for the Lord. It doesn't mean you put up with abuse. It doesn't mean that you put up with anything, uh, again, that is contrary to the word of God. But it shows your submission to the Lord in being submissive to your husband. And that leads to the word of God not being reviled. And then finally he goes on to younger men. And he says younger men are to be self-controlled. And it's almost like younger men have a problem being self-controlled. Okay, I don't know if you know any younger men, but yes, they do tend to have a problem with their being self-controlled. And I think because Titus is younger, uh, he, uh, he extends um, and is including Titus in this in some ways where he says in verse 8, um, or I'm sorry, in verse 7, "...show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works." And in your teaching to show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opportunity, uh, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And so, uh, I think he's including Titus in this uh, speech to young men. But young men are to be self-controlled. Titus is to be self-controlled. That we're to carry ourselves with dignity. We're to say things that don't bring condemnation on the Lord, but actually would condemn the opponents of the Lord. Be self-controlled. And if you notice, all through here, the command to older men and older women and younger women and younger men is to live self-controlled lives. That's the great calling as disciples of Christ, to to be self-controlled with how we live. So, all of those things he says, and then he goes on to the bond servants, the employees. If you're an employee, if you work for someone, do good. Be a good worker. Be agreeable. Don't always complain or disagree with your boss when he has something for you. Uh, don't, don't, yeah, don't always argue with him. And don't be withholding that word pilfering in my translation of verse 10. Not pilfering. Um, you know, bond servants in, in Roman houses were in charge a lot of times with the pantry. And so if they felt like they weren't getting enough food, they would kind of hold back some. They would, they would take a little bit for themselves. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Don't withhold some. For yourself, Don't take from your boss that he hasn't given to you. Don't be pilfering. Don't withhold anything, whether it's honor or uh, work or anything from your boss, if, he've, if he, he's asked that for you. Um, and he says, do all of that work for the sake of giving to the Lord. And that's the calling that he's given to all of us. Hopefully somewhere in there, your, um, uh, your heart has been pricked a little bit. He's dealt with all of us. The older ones, the younger ones. Um, you may be asking, you know, am I an older one? Am I a younger one? Uh, the dividing line there is a little bit tricky for us. Um, and so it's hard to know. Uh, I'll say this. Um, if, you, if you're a father, uh, you are an older man. You have younger men to train. If you're a mother, you have, uh, you're an older woman. You have younger women to train. Uh, but all of you somewhere in here will find what you need to be doing. And this is the plan for God's church. The older are to train the younger ones.
The older are to train the younger ones. And it should cause us to reflect our lives. Am I training the younger generations? Am I modeling for them the behavior that is fitting for a Christian? Am I doing these things? Am I living my life this way? Or am I seeking after my glory and what I want? This is the calling for Christians. This is the calling for Christian discipleship. Where younger ones are to receive correction from, from older ones. And that's kind of the way it goes. If that gets inverted, if the younger are teaching the older, we got problems. So just think about those things as you think about your life in the church and how you live your life before others and with others. Are you doing what you've been called to do? All right, so in uh, verses 11 through 14, he gives the reasons, the reasons we should act this way. He says, verse 11, why should you do this? Because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Mine says all people. And what he means there is for all kinds of people. What are the all kinds of people that he's talking about? Those five people we just talked about. Old, young, bond servants, free. God's, has a, God's grace has appeared to all types of people. God has freely given us his grace. And we are to behave as people to, that have really received the grace of God. If we've really received this gift, then we really should behave that way. We're told there's three things in, in uh, this section in 11 through 14 that God is doing. He's bringing salvation. He's training us in righteousness. He's training us to live uh, how he uh, would like us to live. And he's causing us to wait for the second appearing of Jesus Christ. Bringing salvation with his first appearance. Training us in righteousness while we live waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. The second appearing. And we're told in here that Jesus, look in verse 14, Jesus gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness. That word redeem is what I've been going over with uh, some of the, the, the young women here on Wednesday nights. The word redeem, it means to be bought at a price. To be redeemed out of slavery, your slavery to sin. Jesus Christ paid the price for you to leave your slavery to your sin so that you can be trained in righteousness, to be redeemed from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus Christ has saved you. Why? To purify you. To purify you. To be his possession. You are not your own. You have been bought by Jesus Christ. For what purpose? <clears throat> to be zealous for good works, to love loving others and doing good. In conclusion, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? You are called to learn what it means to be a disciple, to grow more and more, to be trained more and more to live as a disciple of Christ. This isn't a one-time thing. You're saved and then you get it. No, that's not what he's talking about. In the church, we have a place to play or our part to play with each other that we grow and learn more and more as we depend on each other more and more and are discipled by each other in the church to look more and more like Jesus Christ. You are called to learn to do that as a disciple. And this is an invitation for you to come and learn to die to yourself as Jesus commanded us. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. You're invited to do that today. 
Take up your cross. Follow Jesus. Live for him. Why? Because he has redeemed you from your lawlessness. And the good thing for us is we have an opportunity to come in the Lord's Supper to celebrate what he has done. In the Supper, what you're doing is you're confessing what Jesus Christ has done and who he is for you. And you're confirming, it is your confirmation that you belong to him, that he is your possessor, that you belong to Jesus Christ. And your comfort is that you have been redeemed from all lawlessness in the supper. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Come, die to self, because your Savior has died for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this word today. Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people uh, to be disciples. Uh, I pray that this would not be uh, a word that goes against your grace, but is indeed because of your grace. That we would not see that we are saved in our works, but we're saved only by the finished work of Jesus Christ. But that that would work its way out in our lives. That it would go into our heads and come through our hearts into our hands. And that we would be a people who are zealous for good works. Because you are zealous for us. Help us as we go and we partake of the supper in a moment. Help us to be a people who are comforted by the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. As the elders